what's going on everybody and welcome to the scholar spotlight podcast in case you missed the previous episode for the month of november we are in a series that we're titling stem powered a series we hope will inspire our scholars specifically the next generation of young women interested in stem related fields for this episode i had the opportunity to sit down with sigourney bell a second year graduate student at the university of cambridge in england and co-founder of black and cancer an organization that aims to strengthen the network between Black people in the cancer space, while also highlighting Black excellence in cancer research and medicine. Sigourney and I talked about her work as a researcher, her experience as a woman of color in a leadership position, and the importance of visibility for our young woman aspiring to do the same. Although this episode is not enough to adequately shine light on the complexity of this issue, we hope that this will be a start, and that our scholars will be motivated to carry the torch moving forward. As always, don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the Scholar Spotlight podcast, and follow us at Delaware College Scholars. Let's dive in. Hi, Sigourney. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, just want to thank you again for taking the time to be our guest um, on this podcast and in a series that we're calling STEM Powered. Um, we're really excited to have you. It is my absolute pleasure. Awesome. Awesome. So let's get right into our first question. As co-founder of Black and Cancer, you and your team are doing some phenomenal work to diversify the pipeline of cancer researchers and provide a space for patients and advocates. What inspired you to start this organization and what do you hope will come from this beyond this being a social media initiative? So what kind of really empowered us to start was just the real lack of visibility. So in the institute that I'm in, uh, which is around 400 to 500 people, so researchers, um, clinicians and all sorts, um, I am one of two black people. Um, and within the 12 years the institute has been running, I'm only the second black PhD student there. So for me to have an environment that is fully facilitating to my growth as a scientist and my understanding but also to be an environment that i can be holding myself in and sometimes when you can't see yourself in the environment you don't know what you can be mm. um so creating black and cancer was an opportunity for me to meet or for me and others to meet people who looked like them for them to have something to aspire to you know could I be in certain positions if I didn't see somebody who looked like me in them, whether that's a conscious or a subconscious decision. So it was really important, but also there's a lack of um, understanding in the black community around cancer. So we really wanted to take our expertise and our knowledge as black cancer researchers, oncologists, clinicians, to really bring that information that's really, really important um, to the right people in the right way. How do you ensure that you are seen, that your opinions are heard, and that you are taken seriously and respected in your role as a researcher and woman of color in predominantly white spaces and institutions? So I've always kind of grown up on the notion from my parents of you've got to work twice as hard for half as much. So for me, it's really been about letting my work speak for itself, which can sometimes be a challenge and can sometimes be frustrating. Um, sometimes you want to voice opinions and you don't want to be taken in certain ways. So you have to just be acutely aware of the situations that you're in and be able to manage how to communicate in those situations. 
Um, another thing is, you know, making clear about the work that you're doing, how it's documented, all of those kinds of things so that there isn't an opportunity for anything to be misaligned when it comes to people's perspectives of you. Um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes people will think that you're the outlier because of the way that you work, the way that you carry yourself. Um, but sometimes that's what you have to do in those situations and kind of play to the game until you're in a situation where you can start to alter other people's viewpoints. But sometimes it takes for you to be in those positions and to get those qualifications and all of that before you can then be able to move forward and be like, okay, so now I'm in this position, here's how I'm going to start to change things. It makes sense. Um, all the women are white, all the blacks are men is a framing quote from a seminal book by Gloria T. Hall, Patricia Bell Scott, and Barbara Smith on Black feminist thought and studies. What does this quote mean to you, especially as you run an organization with a Black male? So, I mean, there's a lot to unpack around that, but I think the core kind of central part of it is intersectionality. There's been so much work done on breaking the glass ceiling for women in terms of being in boardrooms, in being in positions of responsibility in multiple different fields, which is a really great thing. But there's still been a lack of that within the Black community in elevating people into the positions that they deserve to be in. Um, the challenge is, is that once you the diversity door began to open, as you might say, it only really allowed for black men because women were still seen in the same way that, that white women are seen in some situations. Um, it then meant that intersection of being black and a woman was doubly as hard. So it's a real challenge around that. And running an organization with a black male is definitely it definitely has some challenges in terms of the way that people perceive in terms of he's a he's a black male who already has his PhD. So people assume that it's his organization and maybe I'm just like on board. Um, so it's really important to have allyship in that he understands that that's how the world will perceive things. So we have conversations about how to combat that. So if he gets asked to do things in it, with black and cancer in mind, um, he will always be like, well, Scorny's the co-founder. So it's one of us, it's, it's both of us or it's none of us. Mm -hmm. Um, so he really makes sure that he keeps the door open for me. And there will be some rooms where I won't be welcomed as a black woman that he might be welcomed into as a black man. But on the flip side, there may be some avenues that I can go down as a black woman that it will be harder for him to go down as a black man. So, it's how you use that diversity of being a black man and a black female to your advantage to make sure that you are heard in all situations. And that doesn't necessarily always mean having um, a black male. Sometimes it's also good to have allies from other races because there will be some doors that just won't be open because we are black. Um, but there will be people who are advocating for us, um, who believe in what we do. So we'll be able to help us open those doors. So I think it's really important in all aspects to have that allyship, whether it's with people of different genders or people of different races, um, to make sure that causes um, are really supported. It's a very spot on point. And I can imagine that you've had to learn a lot of these lessons through time that it hasn't always been 
the this you know this hasn't always been the case um especially in emo in emotionally charged situations but yeah, it sounds sure. like you know you've uh are progressing and have mastered ar the art of uh of navigating that um, well, i think you navigated a little better now. yes yes so why is the notion of visibility important for black women in the workforce particularly for young women of color aspiring to fill those seats so i'm a big believer in you can't be what you can't see there's a real big challenge in knowing what you can aspire to if you don't already see somebody that looks like you in that position and sometimes that's not a conscious choice it's not a oh that's not a black woman therefore i can't do it but it's a subconscious thing that really runs quite deeply um you know even when we think of what a typical scientist looks like in the in the head of maybe any child within the us or the uk they're going to have this assumption of this maybe older white middle middle class male with gray hair in a lab coat and that's not what we all look like mm. um so the visibility and being like well you know i'm not that therefore it's not a thing for me um isn't isn't true so the more that we are visible as um people of color as women it means that young people are able to see what they can aspire to and be like actually i really like this and i've seen somebody who looks like me doing it so therefore it is accessible to me um no matter the the barriers and and that you know that the door has already been opened for you so you can already just start to push through yeah i think black and cancer has really been a trailblazing organization to be able to see that many black faces and people who hold phds it's powerful mm -hmm. and i suggest a lot of our listeners now please go uh, to Black and Cancer website just and and read some of the stories. It's it's phenomenal. So I really appreciate that work um, for sure. So still on the same notion about visibility um, because this is this is what our theme for this episode. Over sixty percent of our scholars are interested in STEM related fields, either as majors or careers. What's one piece of advice you would give them? So I would definitely say broaden your mindset there are lots of different careers if you're interested in science and in stem that you don't have to be pinned down to one area i mean i when i finished so i guess the equivalent of finish, finishing high school in the us um was like i want to be a physician i want to be a doctor um and I went to university doing a different course and had planned to do go to medical school straight after. Um, and then I actually really started to enjoy what I was doing in terms of learning about disease, learning about how these diseases happen, what we can do to try and fix them. And in my head, I was like, I can spend either a lifetime trying to treat different people along the way, but if I make one drug over my whole lifetime, I can save hundreds, if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives. And I'm really interested in how the diseases work, why things go wrong, how they go wrong. Um, so I think it's broadening the mindset in terms of what you might want to do because you're interested in science. And even beyond that, there are so many roles beyond just being in the lab. Um, you don't have to be in the lab for the rest of your life. You don't have to be at the bench. There are a million and one different careers. Some of them I haven't even heard of. You know, you can be a 
clinical trial coordinator and be dealing with patients but also dealing with data from you know these research trials and stuff there's so much to get involved in so i would say really take the time to find out what it is that you're passionate about and don't jump on a career just because everybody says well you're you like this therefore you should do this or even because the career traditionally pays well too yeah you know um and so i actually i want to have i have a follow-up question on that how are you able to pivot so well you know you said that you originally started off you know wanting to go to med school and you had that realization that hey i kind of want to be researching and developing a drug that would you know cure the the, the cancer that yeah or yeah exactly so did you have someone who advised you who told you that hey like maybe this would be a better path like how did you come to that realization i know we have a lot of students who say they want to be doctors are interested in going to med school and they're like all right well i'm having trouble with the sciences or i get to organic chemistry i'm like all right look i need to rethink this so how how did you make that pivot and that change so i think it's really through connecting with your professors Mm -hmm. so if there's uh you know a lecture that you go to a class that you go to that you're really interested in and your professor does research into that area maybe email them and have a conversation or stop by after class and be like hey i'm really interested in what you're doing you know maybe i can come by the lab sometime and actually that's what happened with me i had a, a lecturer that i absolutely loved her lectures and was like really interested i went up to have a chat with her afterwards and you know said oh i'd love to get some experience i'd love to like see what our real lab is like and she was like sure come down and and i'll show you around the lab and you know you can you can see what we do so i was like okay that's great and then she ended up being like look there's a small project that needs to be finished we don't have anyone to do it so why don't you come by you can come in whenever you want um everything will be there and you can just you can just crack on um and that was how i got my first real taste of research i learned from one of the research assistants in the group and then kind of carried on from there and then I ended up getting a studentship over the summer, um, which was paid. So I ended up working on a lab paid for the summer. And then because of the experience I had moving forward, then I took a year out and did a year working for a pharmaceutical company during my undergrad degree. And it kind of just progressed from there. Wow. I think that's so important. The art of advocating for yourself too. And Mm -hmm. I think this is a really important message for our scholars to hear and our audience, because if you wouldn't have reached out and sent that email, who knows where you would be today, yeah. right? We, we, you know, you're Dr. Bell in, in the making. And uh, so uh, we may not be having this conversation. So I think it's really important that you have to advocate for yourself, especially, like I said, a lot of our students are first gen. And yeah. um, so they're going through this the first time. So yeah, I know um, what it's like to be in that boat. Mm-hmm. I am first gen. And it's a challenge going from being first gen undergrad to now first gen grad student. There was, there's nobody in my family to help me navigate this. And that's why, you know, DCS is a fantastic program, which means that that you do have people to help. Um, I was in a fortunate position that I had the confidence to speak to professors and be like, can you help me? Or like, can we talk about this? Um, which I know that like, not everybody has that. So. I think that it's a really fantastic program and that you have people to speak to. So definitely, I would say, make the most of it. Appreciate that. And 
similar sentiment. What do you believe can be done to encourage more women in general and minorities to enter into STEM-related educational tracks and careers? I think it, it really starts quite young. I think there is this notion that science subjects, math, STEM is for boys. Um, and I mean, it's really not fair. <laughs> We're good at science too. Um, we're interested about around about the world around us too. So I think really working towards not letting that be seen as a boy or a girl subject or a male or a female subject um, and really just letting people pursue what they're passionate about. Um, but again, it kind of comes back to the visibility. If people only see males um, who don't look like them in those positions, then you know, that's what's going to happen. So I think there are some really fantastic programs out there that are really helping to bring particularly like women of colour to the forefront and, and letting them be seen. You know, there's a program called If Then She Can, um, which is really about women of colour being ambassadors um, for STEM subjects. So I, if if your listeners can, I would definitely check that out. Um but yeah, there are, I think it's just the encouragement um, and the visibility means that people will be like, okay, there is somebody who looks like me, so I think I can do this. And, you know, reach out. There are plenty of um, women of colour who are um, who do STEM outreach on social media, whether that's on Twitter, whether that's on, on Facebook, Instagram. Um, you know, they're more than happy to help review things or just to answer questions, you know, watch panels that they do. Um, and you'll really get a lot of information, but they're all willing to help because they all want to bring more people who look like them into their subjects. Awesome. And I hope we can add you to that list too of people. Absolutely. You know, so. Drop me a DM anytime. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Uh, you have been a phenomenal guest, um, and it's been great speaking to you, especially hearing your accent. Uh, we have a lot of <laughs> have a lot of English listeners, so um, no, this is definitely you know we're definitely switching it up. But we are running out of time, and we have reached our ring the bell segment. Essentially, this is the last two questions, um, or same two questions we ask every guest on our podcast. So, what's one piece of advice you would give your sixteen year old self? And what's your why? Okay, one piece of advice I give to my 16-year-old self. Keep going. You can do it. It will take, might take longer than you think. You might get discouraged. But persevere, you will make it. If you're passionate about it, you will make it. I think that's, yeah. Um, sorry, what was the second question? What's your why? Oh, um... I probably have a few whys, but particularly as I work in cancer research and you know that there are so many people suffering or so many people who are families who are going through traumatic times because of cancer. And more specifically, I work on uh, children's brain tumor. So for me, it's that those children who have the brain tumor that I'm working on deserve to live a full life and have a bright future ahead of them. So that's why I do what I do, so that those families don't have to go through that, that those children can go on to live a full life in whichever way they should choose. Um and and you know, have a have a fantastic experience. 
Well, look, thank you so much. Such a heartfelt story. And we really appreciate you taking the time to share your story. It's so important. And the work that you are doing as a researcher and the work that you are doing with Black and Cancer, it's phenomenal. And it's what we need in the Black community, especially during this time. Um, So we want to just thank you again for joining. My pleasure. Mm -hmm.